Welcome to Keep the Faith, the bi-weekly podcast in which contemporary issues are explored through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. There was a mass killing here in the United States on Wednesday night when a man opened fire in a Lewiston, Maine restaurant and then moved to a nearby bowling alley that was hosting a children's event at the time. As of 10.30 Eastern Time Thursday morning, 18 people were reported to have been killed in the attack and 13 people were wounded, including a 10-year-old girl who was shot in the leg. It was this country's deadliest mass shooting so far this year. As of Thursday morning, with the shooting suspects still at large and considered armed and dangerous, there was a shelter-in-place order for all residents in Lewiston, which is Maine's second-largest city. Residents in three neighboring communities were also being told to shelter in place. So far this year, the nation has witnessed the second highest number of mass killings and deaths on record to this point in a single year. Only 2019 had more mass killings, and 2023 is on track to top that. According to the Associated Press database, There have been more than 560 mass killings since 2006, in which at least 2,900 people died and at least 2,000 people were injured. A mass shooting is one in which four or more people are killed or injured by gunfire, not including the shooter. According to Gun Violence Archive, there have been 565 mass shootings here this year through Thursday morning. There also have been 31 mass murders during this period, meaning that four or more victims were killed during a mass shooting incident, again, not including the shooter. The AP database puts the number of mass murders at 36 so far in 2023. The most common weapon in mass shootings is an AR-15 type semi-automatic assault rifle, and the shooter Wednesday did use a semi-automatic assault rifle. Whether it was an AR-15 will remain to be seen when he's captured. Handguns and shotguns are also commonly used. In all so far this year, there have been 35,279 people killed by a gun as of Thursday morning, including 13,266 suicides. 35,279 people killed by a gun from January 1st through Thursday morning. Among the dead, according to Gun Violence Archive, were 246 children, ages 11 and under, and 1,157 teenagers, ages 12 to 17. In that time as well, 545 children, 11 and under, and 3,273 teenagers up to age 17 were injured by guns. There also were 1,298 unintentional shooting incidents so far this year. An unintentional shooting can occur for a variety of reasons, including weapons being discharged accidentally and inadequate safety precautions being taken when handling a weapon. The number of mass shootings in the United States has been rising steadily in recent years, and so have the number of deaths and injuries. There were 336 mass shootings in 2018, for example, but there were 647 mass shootings last year. There were 665 children killed by guns in 2018. 
but there were 995 children killed in 2022. Among the teenagers, 2,883 were killed by guns in 2018 and 5,157 in 2022. And so the topic for this week is another look at gun violence, especially involving children, what Jewish law has to say about gun control, and what we can do about it. Just as mass shootings and gun-related deaths have been going up, so has public opinion been increasing. Just 45% of Americans supported stricter gun control laws in 2014, but it was up to 52% in 2017, and that number hit 60% in 2021, according to a Pew Research Center survey. Of those who support stricter gun control laws, 53% also favor a nationwide ban on AR-15-type assault weapons. Most of these supporters, though, are Democrats or independents who lean toward the Democrats. According to the Pew survey, 88% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents favor stricter gun control laws, while 32% of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents favor such laws. As for banning assault-type weapons themselves, 88% of Democrats are in favor, and somewhat remarkably, so are 50%, 50% of Republicans. Here are some other facts to consider. We here have a significantly higher rate of gun deaths than any other developed country. According to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, in 2020, there were 12.2 gun deaths for every 100,000 people here. By comparison, Canada comes in second place with 2.7 gun deaths per 100,000 people. The United States has more guns per capita than any other country in the world. There are an estimated 120.5 guns per 100 people in the United States, according to the Small Arms Survey. This is also a fact. Gun violence costs the United States an estimated $229 billion each year in medical expenses, lost productivity, and other costs. These are facts, but they don't get wall-to-wall media coverage the way mass shootings do. And our legislators on all levels, Republicans especially, seem unconcerned about them. So apparently are some of our judges around the country. Just one week ago, on October 19th, a federal judge in California who previously overturned the state's ban on assault weapons did it again by ruling unconstitutional the state's attempts to prohibit the sale of semi-automatic weapons. Where politicians are concerned, sadly, money talks louder than statistics. The National Rifle Association spends many millions of dollars each year lobbying against gun control and weapons bans, and it spends many millions of dollars each year supporting the politicians who vote its way. Last year, for example, the NRA gave a total of $18.8 million to politicians, $13.8 million to Republican candidates, and $5 million to Democratic ones. The NRA also spent nearly $20 million on ads in 2022. $12.8 million in support of Republican candidates and $6 million in support of Democratic candidates. This is not about the Second Amendment. This is not about the right to bear arms. 
To use a favorite argument of the strict constructionists on the political right, it is about what our founding fathers meant when they wrote the Second Amendment. They had in mind single-shot rifles and guns. They couldn't even have conceived of an automatic weapon that can shoot 800 rounds per minute, over 13 rounds per second, as the AR-15 can do, for example. Does anyone seriously think they would have written the Second Amendment the way they did if they could have conceived of such weapons? The AR-15 carries a needle-nosed bullet that travels at nearly three times the speed of sound. It took 154 rounds fired in less than five minutes for a shooter to kill 20 children and six adults at Sandy Hook Elementary School in 2012. In 2012, too, an AR-15 fitted with a 100-round magazine killed 12 people and wounded 58 others in an Aurora, Colorado movie theater. In December 2015, 14 government workers in San Bernardino, California, who were attending an office holiday party, were killed by an AR-15. In an Orlando nightclub in June 2016, 49 people were killed and 53 injured by an upgraded, quote, next generation, unquote, AR-15. The AR-15, by the way, is called, quote, America's Rifle, unquote, by the NRA. It's the NRA's weapon of choice for hunters and sports shooters. Seriously, does anyone really need to shoot 800 rounds to bring down a quail? Does anyone really need to shoot 800 rounds to shoot cans off a fence in target practice? Obviously, the NRA thinks people do. Obviously, so do many members of Congress, including some Democrats and nearly all Republicans. So do the gun manufacturers. Just look at the ads they run to promote their assault weapons. And that's what they are, assault weapons. The gun companies don't hide the fact, even if the NRA loves to do so. In one full-page ad some years ago, an ad that influenced the Sandy Hook shooter to buy his AR-15, by the way, Bushmaster, which makes the weapon, had almost nothing written on that full page. The ad had a white background with a photo of an AR-15 on the right top third of the page and just five words beside it to the left. Quote, consider your man card reissued. Unquote. I'll repeat that. Consider your man card reissued. Imagine, we need a weapon that shoots 800 rounds a minute to establish our manhood credentials. Bushmaster had other ads, one of which was for something called an ACR, which should be a strictly military product for military use, the letters ACR, in fact, stand for Adaptive Combat Rifle. Remington claimed its ACR was manufactured for military use, but it advertised its versions in general publications in any case. Bushmaster didn't even bother to hide its intended audience. Its ACR carried this line in its ad, quote, In a world where survival of the fittest can mean survival at all, no rifle is a better fit than the one-of-a-kind, all-new Bushmaster ACR, unquote. Ask yourselves what survival of the fittest is supposed to mean. 
you may be even more horrified than I hope you already are if you do. So now, let's look at what Jewish law, starting with the Torah, has to say, and how what it says was interpreted by our Talmudic sages of blessed memory and the rabbis who came after them. You've heard this before in many of my podcasts. Torah law requires that when building a house, a person must build a parapet around the roof, quote, that you should not bring any blood upon your house if any man falls from there, unquote. That law is found in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8. Remember what I've said a number of times on this podcast, Torah law is more like chapter headings than actual law. It sets up a category under which other laws fall. So it is with the parapet law. Rabbinic decisions make clear that this law is subject to the broadest interpretation possible. Thus, we're told this in the Babylonian Talmud tractate, Baba Kama. Quote, Rabbi Natan says, From where do we derive the rule that no one should keep a damaged ladder in his house? From the text, you should not bring any blood upon your house, unquote. Maimonides, the Rambam, in his Mishnah Torah, The Laws of Murder and the Preservation of Life, explains that the Arabic law includes, quote, everything that is inherently dangerous and could in normal circumstances cause a person to die, unquote. Anything that fits that bill requires a parapet to be built around it, meaning that every effort must be extended to prevent the item from causing an unintentional death. Other commentators also note, as Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch did in the late 19th century, that the Torah's parapet law even requires, quote, local civil authorities to intervene to have anything at all that might be dangerous removed, unquote, from a person's premises, despite the fact that the Torah elsewhere insists on an individual's right to privacy. Weapons, of course, are made with the intention that they can kill. A police officer or a soldier in wartime requires a gun that will perform its deadly task efficiently and with all possible speed if the circumstances require it. Same is not necessarily true of the homeowner or storekeeper for whom a gun is meant to provide psychological comfort and who expects the gun to deter crime without having to employ its deadly power. The distinction thus must be made between the offensive weapon and the defensive one, an AR-15, for example, versus a Colt single-action revolver. While a parapet is required for both, the nature of the protective device is necessarily different for each. The offensive weapon should be safe enough to reasonably protect against mishaps, but not so encumbered that it's virtually useless in the field. The defensive weapon should also be able to be used if the need arises, God forbid, but the degree of safety against mishaps must be greater. With this in mind, it is possible to argue that guns intended for self-defense must have the best available protection against accidental or unauthorized use, or else they may not be manufactured. They are manufactured without such devices, they may not be purchased. Yet, let us assume that no one manufactures a defensive weapon that utilizes the best available protection against accidental or unauthorized use. If there nevertheless is a perceived or well-established need for self-defense weapons as a requirement for a parapet prohibit obtaining such a weapon despite the need, 
Simple answer is, of course not. Preservation of life takes precedence over virtually everything else, including Shabbat observance. The more complicated answer requires evaluating a variety of factors. Among these are whether the danger is real, whether other modes of defense would accomplish the same end, whether the degree of protection against accidental discharge is so great that it renders gun ownership moot, and so forth. There are safety features available for guns, of course, but to date there are no handguns out there that provide what I consider halachically adequate parapets. That technology is available, though, and better technology is on the drawing boards, so it's clear that such guns could be manufactured. Even if they were available, though, judging by a landmark decision it issued in June 2008, the Supreme Court of the United States, at least as currently constituted, is likely to toss out any legislation requiring them. The case is known as District of Columbia et al. v. Heller. In 1976, the D.C. City Council passed the Firearms Control Regulations Act, which banned handguns in the district and required all other firearms in the home to be kept, in the words of the act, quote, unloaded and either disassembled or bound by a trigger lock, unquote. The trigger lock being a safety device. The court ruled five to four that the Firearms Control Regulations Act violated the Second Amendment's right to bear arms. The majority opinion was written by the late Associate Justice Antonin Scalia. Even worse to my mind is his reasoning. The Second Amendment used very qualified wording in granting this right. Here's what it says. Quote, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, unquote. That despite this very qualified wording, the court found that this right is, quote, unconnected with service in a militia, unquote. Let me read it again. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And yet the court rules that this right is, quote, unconnected with service in a militia, unquote. So what can we do? For one thing, if we own a gun or guns, we need to take extremely great care to keep them from being used without adequate safeguards, and we especially need to keep them locked up in such a way that our children or any other unauthorized user can't get to them at any time or in any way. Beyond that, we need to persistently demand that Congress pass effective gun control laws and assault weapons and that it must require that all new guns must come equipped with the latest safety technology. Given the dysfunctionality in Congress these days, I wouldn't hold my breath. When it comes to preventing mass shootings, one especially important law is to keep people with a history of domestic abuse from obtaining a gun of any kind. As I mentioned in a previous podcast on domestic violence, a Johns Hopkins study found that more than two-thirds of mass shootings were committed by people with a history of domestic violence. We also need to elect a Democrat as president in 2024, a Democratic majority in the House, and a larger Democratic majority in the Senate to guarantee that such legislation does pass 
and that the conservative stranglehold on the Supreme Court can be broken if vacancies arise over the following four years. Death by guns has been called one of our most serious public safety issues, and I hope I demonstrated that to you in this podcast. Now it's our turn to act, and we need to encourage others to act as well. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer. I hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shamai.org, www.shamai.org, and email me, please. If you don't get to do a standard but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. My latest column focuses on the insistence by the U.S. and so many others that Israel must follow the so-called rules of war that it follows better than everyone else. Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy. Keep wearing N95 masks in public no matter who tells you otherwise. Pray for the state of Israel. Pray for the hostages that they are returned safely and unharmed. Pray for the soldiers of Tzahal, of the IDF that they return to their homes safely and unharmed. And above all, stay safe.